Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Right now, big things are going on at Collective as we are finishing the work on our own 24-7 space with the plan to be open by Easter. Until then, you can continue to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We'd love for you to join us. God is moving at Collective and in the city of Frederick, so stay tuned so you can be up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved with what's next at Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us online this year for our Christmas Eve services. I hope you're relaxing by the fire or drinking hot chocolate, maybe with an adult twist, if you know what I mean, or sitting in your living room surrounded by friends or family, ultimately making the best of a situation that you didn't expect. Because I mean, let's be honest, this isn't how we expected Christmas to go. We expected to be in our new building. We expected more people than ever. We expected to see you and your friends and your neighbors worshiping side by side. Maybe you expected to see your family this year. Or you expected to have a little more financial margin to go all out for your kids. Or simply, you expected this Christmas to be just like all the others. But that's not the reality. And much like the first Christmas when Jesus was born, things aren't going the way anyone expected them to go. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a sermon series called All I Want for Christmas. And we've been reading through the story of the birth of Jesus and looking at the different people who played important roles. And we're trying to figure out what can I learn from the story of Jesus's birth? Because the truth is, we often forget that this story is about real people. Real people with real problems, with real wants, real fears, real doubts, and they are just like you and me. The problem is that we have this image in our head of the first Christmas where everything is perfect. Mary, who just gave birth, looks beautiful and not like she just gave birth. Joseph has an endearing look on his face and has no fear about what's to come. The animals are in awe. Light is shining down from heaven. Baby Jesus isn't crying and already sleeps through the night. Someone in the corner is playing soft Christmas music on the flute. It's perfect. But that isn't how it went down. In fact, I spent hours looking through Google images to try and find a painting that really embodied the chaos of Jesus's birth. And this is all that I found. And this is just gross. Also, there are a ton of pictures online of nativity scenes made out of meat. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Just Google nativity scene plus meat and be prepared to be grossed out. But that wasn't all I found. Check this out. Now, I can't tell if the velociraptors are there in reverence or are there to attack. How about this one? (laughs) Some of you are trying to figure out how to get 10 dogs in your front yard to remake this. And this one is probably my favorite. Here's my point. The birth of Jesus was anything but perfect, just like our lives, just like our Christmas this year. But for some reason, we've polished it up, cleaned it up, and turned it into a Hallmark movie that's a little easier to handle. And when we do that, it makes it harder to connect to the real story. 
So tonight, we're going to look at the very real story of Jesus' birth that didn't go as expected. So here's some context for what we are about to read in the Bible. Mary is nine months pregnant, meaning she is about to pop. And the Roman Empire, which ran that whole part of the world, issues a decree that everybody has to go back to their hometown for a census. And in Jesus's day, if you were engaged, you were as good as married. So Mary and Joseph have to go together to Joseph's ancestral home. And the reason Rome is doing this is because they're the government and they want to know how many people live in their empire so they know how much tax money is coming their way later. In other words, 2000 years later and nothing has changed. So we're gonna pick up the story there. Mary and Joseph and the whole Roman empire have to report back home because of a government mandate. We're gonna start reading in Luke two, verse four. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, let me break this down a little bit. Joseph has to go back home to where his family heritage is linked. And for him, that means Bethlehem. And this is because Joseph is from the same bloodline as King David. King David as in David and Goliath, David who wrote the majority of the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, and David who was called a man after God's own heart. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. Now think about what's going on here. Mary and Joseph have to pack up a donkey and go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 70 miles and would have been a three-day ride. All of you middle children who had to sit in the back seat, middle with their feet on the hump during family trips, thought you had it bad. This ride is worse. Now, this is the part of the story, though, where Christians, because they've heard it so many times, will say, just get to the good part. But time out. Real people real pregnant girl. So let's think about this. Ladies, what would you do if your husband, fiance, boyfriend said, hey, I know you're about ready to give birth, but let's go on a donkey ride. Like around the block? No, three days. You would look at him like he was crazy, right? And this is not at all what she would have wanted or expected. But here's the thing. This is the easiest part of their trip it gets so much harder. The story continues. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. And here's why. Because there was no lodging available for them. Now, whether you've heard this story one million times or just a few times when you were dragged to mass on Christmas, or this is the first time hearing this story, here's what we picture that moment was like. Joseph is walking next to the donkey, excited to head home for the first time in a while. Mary is side saddle with a small smile on her face because she's giving birth to the savior of the world and everything is happy. And then they see a motel and think, let's check in there. And they go up to the front desk at the Motel 6 and they ask for a room. But then this evil innkeeper goes, there's no room in the inn. Mwahaha. And then he rolls his mustache with his fingers or something like that. And then luckily, luckily, right next door, there's the most warm, safe, comfortable barn in the history of the world. And they just go in there and Mary gives birth to Jesus. And it's beautiful. 
It makes a great Christmas card. It makes a great puzzle that you put together with your siblings. It makes a great painting that you hang every single year at Christmas time. But here's the thing. That's not what happened. Let me just blow up this story for you for a second. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to ruin the way you see Christmas, but I kind of am. Let's talk about the word in. The word in that is used in this story can be translated to the ancient version of a hotel. And again, that's what most of us think. That's what, that's what I used to think too. They tried to check in and rent a room and there was a no vacancy sign lit up. But 2000 years ago, inns were a Roman thing. You see, the Roman government would build inns in important cities. So when dignitaries came to town, they would have a place to stay. So they didn't have to stay in a barn or something like that. But Bethlehem is podunk. It's not important at all. It's not a big city. It's just a little town. Now it was important to the Jewish faith because King David was born there, but no one else cared about Bethlehem. So there probably wasn't a hotel there. But let's assume that there was. And Mary and Joseph went and tried to check in, but got turned away. That's not likely, given that in Israel, hospitality was right up there with worshiping God. You just didn't turn people away. If somebody asked for food, you gave them food. If somebody asked for a place to stay, you figured out a way to give them shelter. So it's really hard to imagine that nine-month pregnant Mary walked into the lobby of a hotel after a 70-mile trek and every single person in there refused to give her a room. Or the innkeeper, who's still rolling that mustache, looked and said, we have to look out for fire code so you can't even stay in the lobby. You're going to have to give birth in the alley. That's not likely. So here's what most likely happened. Let's go back to the word in, because this word can also be translated to mean an extra room in the house. And we would just call it a guest room. It's the same word. Now this makes more sense to me and here's why. The reason why Joseph had to pack up Mary and go 70 miles to Bethlehem was because the government had said a census needed to be taken and you had to go back to your family's hometown. So that means Joseph's family lived in Bethlehem. And he, either he was born there or maybe his father was born there. Meaning somewhere in the small town of Bethlehem was the family compound for Joseph's family. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you know this. A family compound is a wall enclosed with a single gate. And inside the walls, there are many rooms. Meaning grandpa built it and he had a room. Then he had a son who got married, then came back and built on an extra room. Then he had a son who got married and also came back and they built on another room. In my father's house, there are many rooms. That's where that phrase comes from. So here's probably what happened. After three exhausting days of travel with a wife who was going into labor, the door that Joseph knocked on was mom and dad's. And they knocked and they're greeted by family who says, there's no room for you here. You can't come in. Have you ever experienced that? When you messed up, or at least your family sees it that way, and you are no longer welcome at home. Have you ever been that family member who got hurt and chose unforgiveness and a closed door? This is real life, people. Many of you know exactly what this feels like to show up at home and realize you aren't welcome there anymore. And this is what happens. And again, how do you think Mary felt during all of this? 
It's definitely not how she expected it to go when she dreamt of meeting her in-laws for the first time. You see, this story isn't about not having room. It's about not making space. They knew that Mary was pregnant and they knew it wasn't Joseph's and they wanted nothing to do with either of them. So Joseph's family responds by saying, that girl's not gonna have that baby in this house. Get out of here. There's no room for you. And the story tells us that they leave the inn and Mary gives birth to Jesus and they lay him in a manger. And again, this is gonna blow up your nativity set a little bit. Sorry, not sorry. There weren't a lot of barns in that part of the world. Around Bethlehem, there are a lot of caves. So what people do in that region is that they get all their sheep or cows or whatever, and they put them in a cave for the night and they put a fence across the opening to keep them safe. So Mary probably gave birth in a cave and laid Jesus in a manger. And manger is just another word for food trough. So in a cold cave, surrounded by animals all alone, Mary gave birth to the savior of the world, God in the flesh. And let me just tell you this, there was no great rejoicing. There were no heavenly hosts. We talked about that last week, but they're miles away in a different field full of shepherds. In that moment, it was just Mary and Joseph and a newborn baby. So what would you do? Because they're real people. And we sing Silent Night, but after having two kids, I can tell you that there isn't much silence right after a baby's born. It's a lot of crying. And Mary and Joseph are looking at this little thing and thinking, how can this be? How is this happening? Nobody cares. Nobody understands. Nobody is even helping us. And listen, they were not fortune tellers. They couldn't look ahead and see that it all works out in the end and Jesus saves the world. In that moment, all they knew was this. Our family hates us. When we go back to Nazareth, they're gonna hate us and we have no idea what to do. And they are real people. So they have to think real things like us and they have to be thinking, God, help us, help us. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just projecting too much of my own junk onto Mary and Joseph. That's why I go to therapy. But here's what I think. Huddled in that cave, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I expected. This isn't how I thought this moment of my life would go. And I can just imagine them praying, God, are you there? Help me. So maybe you can relate. Maybe your marriage isn't going how you had hoped. Maybe your career feels directionless and you're wondering, what's the point? Maybe you're lonely or grieving the loss of a loved one or confused or afraid. Maybe you've been hurt by someone you trusted or you feel the pain of unanswered prayers. Whatever you are going through or have gone through or will go through, there will come a point where you cry out, help. Help me, I just need some help. And maybe that's your Christmas wish this year. You just want some help, someone to see you, someone to care. And that's what the story of Jesus' birth is all about. Mary needed help. Joseph needed help. The world needed help. 
and help came in the form of a child. Christmas is the story of God giving us the help we need by giving us a savior, a Messiah to rescue us from this world and our sin and our pain and our brokenness. And it didn't come in the form of a God who simply controls people like a puppet and makes them do what he wants them to do. It didn't come in the form of a God that stays far away, that stays in heaven and shouts advice and commands, but doesn't really get involved in your life. It didn't come in the form of a God who says, you're on your own. I don't care. I don't really understand. I'm God and you are you. I can't really relate. So you have to figure this out. It came in the form of a child, a child who was born in a cave and placed in a manger in a way that no one expected. And this is so great. This is the Christmas story. In that chaos and pain and confusion, God entered our world in a human way, in the same way that all of us enter the world. And he's gonna grow up like we grow up. He's gonna experience the world like we experience the world. He's gonna eat the same food that we eat. He's gonna cry the same tears. And he's gonna finally be here physically and humanly to be with his people, including you. And that is why God is also called Emmanuel or God with us. And I read this verse in week one of this series, but I wanna read it again from Hebrews four. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So we, meaning us, meaning me and you, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. This is talking about Jesus. A priest is just somebody who helps connect us to God. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. And because Jesus can empathize, he gets our life. Jesus knows what it's like to lose loved ones, to grow up in a dysfunctional family, to be hated in his hometown, to be betrayed by a friend, to suffer for doing the right thing, to suffer because others did the wrong thing. He knows what it's like to be hungry, poor, and misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be misrepresented. Jesus knows what it's like to be surrounded by people all the time, but also carry loneliness that you can taste. He knows what it feels like to be exhausted, to be deeply sad, to be lonely in a crowded room. In fact, Jesus knows what it's like to cry out to God because he's been there. He's been in the cave. He's been in the storm. And he's been tempted in every way to give up, to quit and to walk away, just like we have but he didn't, he didn't give up. And I don't know about you, but that is the type of God I need in the worst moments of my life. That is the help that I need. A God who looks at me and says, I get it. I understand, I've been there, I have felt that pain. You are not alone. And because Jesus understands what we are going through, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And that word confidence is the same word as trust and faith. So with faith and absolute assurance, we approach God's throne so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus came to live on this earth and experience the same pain we experience the same sadness we experience, the same fears we experience. He knows exactly what we need when we are struggling. He knows that we need grace. Jesus brought grace to help us in our time of need. 
Jesus came to bring something better than what we deserve, better than what we want, better than what we expect. He came to bring us endless second chances. He came to bring us hope in the form of grace. And if you are listening tonight and you feel like you are crying out for help, please know that God is with you and help is here. If that sounds like something you want every day and every night, all you have to do is accept that help, accept that grace. And the way that we celebrate that at Collective is through baptism. Baptism means to be immersed in water. And it symbolizes the death of your old self and the raising up of your new self into new life. And if that is the help you are looking for, if that is the help you need, check the baptism box in your connection card and we will call you this week to talk about your next steps. But here's the thing. Grace isn't just something we need. It's also something that we give as well. And it's something that we as a church want to be known for. It's what Christians are called to bring to a world full of ungrace. So this Christmas, we are doing something big and we're teaming up with other churches in Maryland to give people a Christmas they didn't expect. Check this out. December 1st, 2019 was a defining moment for Collective Church. It was a day that we officially announced that the people who call Collective their church home had committed to give $340,000 so that we could move into our own 24-7 space by the end of 2020. But it wasn't just about a building for us. One of the promises we made to you, our church, and our community was that we would give away 10% of the total that we raised no matter what. So this Christmas, Collective is partnering with multiple churches in Maryland to pay off over $4 million in medical debt through an organization called RIP Medical Debt. RIP Medical Debt is a nonprofit dedicated to removing the burden of medical debt for individuals, veterans, and families across America. RIP purchases unpaid and unpayable debt at significantly reduced rates for individuals with financial hardships. Once the medical debt is in their possession, rather than collect it, they forgive it with no strings attached through the help of churches and organizations like ours, as well as generous people like you. The way it works is that for every $1 donated to RIP, they resolve $100 in crippling debt. Once a family's debt is abolished, RIP Medical Debt reports that debt as forgiven to the credit bureaus so that damaged credit can be repaired, renewing families' access to opportunities and resources that will allow them to rebuild. As a part of this initiative, Collective is giving $10,000 in order to forgive $1 million in debt that is weighing down on the shoulders of thousands of Marylanders so that they can finally break free from the debt cycle that they're in. And we know that now, probably more than ever, medical expenses are crushing the people in our communities. 2020 has rocked so many of us to the core and left our friends, family, and neighbors struggling to provide for themselves and their families. And this is one way that we are choosing to be a part of the solution. And this is all possible because of the generosity that continues to overflow from the hearts of many of you in our capital campaign called The Frederick That God Sees. And because of you, families and individuals all across the state of Maryland are receiving a Christmas miracle. Because of you, families are receiving a fresh start to their 2021. Because of you, people are receiving hope for their future. And because of you, they will receive a letter this year stating, 
We are pleased to inform you that you are no longer owe the balance on the debt referenced above to the above provider. The debt has been canceled and abolished with the funds donated by Collective Church and other Maryland churches. The forgiveness of the amount you owe is a no-strings-attached gift, and you no longer have any obligation to pay this debt to anyone at any future time. Because of you, people will experience grace. So thank you for partnering with us to change the lives of people, not just in our city, but in the whole state of Maryland. I love this. We are pleased to inform you that you no longer owe the balance of your debt. This debt has been canceled and abolished. The forgiveness of the amount you owe is a no strings attached gift and you no longer have any obligation to pay this debt to anyone at any future time. That's grace. That is what Jesus offers for your soul. A no strings attached gift that you have no obligation to pay back to anyone at any future time. And there is nothing better than that. That is the help we need. That is the help that Jesus brought. And we can walk right up to Jesus and receive that grace because he knows what we are going through. He knows what will get us through the storm that we are in. He knows what will help. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And this is what Christmas is all about. Help in the form of grace that came into the world on the night that Jesus was born. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of grace. God, ultimately, thank you so much for helping us when we've been lost, when we've been beat down, when we've been broken, when we've been trying to figure out what is going on in our lives. God, when we've been in the middle of the valley and we don't know if we'll get out. God, there's something that you give us every single day that helps. God, that helps us have joy and hope and peace and purpose. And God, that's your grace. So God, I pray that this Christmas, as to be honest, we're all struggling. God, we're all looking for something good. God, we're all expecting something different than what we're receiving. God, I pray that this Christmas, the best gift that we received is the gift of your grace, your unending, beautiful, wonderful, endless second chances grace. God, I pray for anybody who's listening tonight who's been crying out for help for a long time and searching in other places to find something to, to bring peace or to bring joy or to bring hope or to help them get through this season. God, I pray that those people who are still looking find you tonight, God, that they give you a shot. They say yes to that help, say yes to that grace, and we get to celebrate that with them. God, we thank you for the way that you love us. God, thank you that you came into the world as a child and you lived the life that we live so you know what it feels like to be us and to deal with pain and to deal with disappointment, deal with fear. God, that you can relate to us. God, and in that, you know what we need and you know we need grace. And God, we're so thankful. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.